You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. Coming at you live. Turn your speakers up to the Forging Fury. Forging Fury, Forging Fury podcast. Hola, bienvenidos a mi podcast. Está un podcast bilingual. <laughs> What's going on, sweet people? This is Coach Riley, and on today's episode of the Forging Fury podcast, alongside my best friend, Michael Gray, we have a hell of a man here today, um, Super Bowl champion, Hall of Famer, Kurt Warner. And, and let me just tell you, when we got when Michael told me he made this happen, I was like lost for words, man. <laughs> Welcome, Kurt. Well, thank you very much. Uh, appreciate uh, to you guys having me on. It's uh Always good to catch up a little bit, and uh, I appreciate it. Yes. And one of the things we always do on this podcast is we like to talk about fitness. We like to talk about things like mindset. And I've been doing some uh, volunteer work with your charity for about eight years now. And just getting to know you, um, the kind of guy you are, I think you'd be a perfect fit for talking into the things that, that we cover on this podcast. So I'm definitely excited that you agreed to come on, and we will let Riley t- kick it off from so here. So I'm a huge sports nerd. I am like... Love statistics, love sports, love great teams, love to dive into science of sports and things like that. The first question I want to know, just from a simple like athletic background, who is the most athletic teammate you've ever had? Just pure athleticism. Athletic, man, it's just, there's so many ways you can, uh, you can go with athleticism, right? I mean, you know, a lot of people look at, you know, the ability to just run fast in a straight line uh, for me, I kind of think of athleticism with the ability to control your body, to be able to do numerous things and control your body, man. I mean, and obviously I've played with <laughs> some of the greatest athletes in the world. Some, so I mean the greatest so show pick, on turf, like the pick one guy, um, man, it's, a, it's such a hard thing. Don't worry. Um, they probably don't like, they probably won't listen to this if you do. Uh, um, you know, I, I think, you know, again, I, it's hard to pick one guy because there's different things that I think about. Like I think about Isaac Bruce and you know, his ability to, to get in and out of breaks um, at the same speed, I think is, is a rare athleticism, right? You know, most of us, when we have to come in and out or we got to slow way down to be able to explode out of something and his ability to drop his weight and explode through a route um, is something athletic that, you know, that, that very few can do. I had a guy like Marshall Falk, um, just his athletic awareness and the ability to see and react, um, and and control his body in the midst of chaos. Um, you, you could put him in the mix, Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, his ability when the ball's in the air to adjust his body and control his body in a manner to be able to turn and grab the football and track a football I mean, it's unbelievable. And so I can't really put my finger on one guy because, again, there are so many great ones, but there's so many ways to look at athleticism. And all of those guys, and really all the guys that I stepped on the field with, I mean, you know, how about a six foot seven Orlando Pace, right? I mean, a guy that's, you know, weighs 300 and some pounds, six foot seven, but he runs like a gazelle. Then you go, my gosh, if you could, you know, take all of that and put it into a body that's, you know, six foot. Now, what does it look like? I mean, so there's just so many different ways. And I think it's the fascinating part of of being an athlete or being around athletes 
is you start to expand your definition of what a great athlete looks like and what goes into being a great athlete. Um, again, some guys can run a 4-240, and they're unbelievable in a straight line, but then they can't move side to side and be what I would term athletic. You know, for quarterbacks, I look at it the same way. I used to call it, you know, quarterback quickness or quarterback athletic because the ability to adjust and move inside the pocket in small spaces and then be able to line your body up and make an accurate throw to me is athleticism. And so I'm sorry, I can't pinpoint it and give you one specific the best guy, answer. I, I totally I agree with a lot of different things that I say, man, that's athletic and that's athletic. And I think that's what I've come to appreciate over the years is that so many different guys have different types of athleticism. And can you take your athleticism and fine tune it into a particular skill that separates you? And that's what, you know, the great athletes I've been around have been able to do. And more importantly, most of the guys that I stepped on a football field have been able to do that to some degree. Now, what about going just away from athleticism, pure athleticism? What about just sheer hard work? Who comes in? Who have you seen that came in and just put the work in and, and maybe wasn't the highest caliber athlete, but just made up for it with with determination and effort gosh um, like first yeah, one again, in last one out kind of guy yeah i mean again you get a lot of guys a guy i think of you know, right off the bat is a guy named ernie conwell who was a tight end for me way back with the the st louis rams and you know he was a guy that could you know bench 500 pounds uh he could run he was always taking care of his body um you know and that's kind of what i think when i think of hard work right I mean, I'd see other guys that were great athletes and great players that, you know, would bring McDonald's into the, you know, the locker room every morning. Don't get me started, you know, Kurt. Because, Don't get me started on McDonald's. Could. Yeah, well, I mean, they could, you know, they could do it and still be a great athlete. But when I think of hard work, I think of the layers of hard work, you know, not just how much time they put into the weight room, but how they took the approach that everything in life from sleep to food uh, to expanding the right kind of energy when I'm working out, uh, to recovering, you know, that kind of work and detail that went into perfecting their craft. And so that's the first guy. I mean, I remember we would be walking around the locker room and he would have dry packets of oatmeal that he would just be pouring into his <laughs> mouth. And I'm thinking, dude, what are you doing? It is awful. That I mean, it's got to taste awful. Doesn't but matter. That to me is, is kind of another idea of hard work it's like yeah it might taste awful but it's the best thing for me instead of you know going into the break room and grabbing a you know candy bar or a protein bar let me you know let me find something that's that's you know pure protein or, or something that's really good for me and so he was so detailed in all of those different things that's why i uh, eat sardines i eat a lot of sardines kurt just because i know they're good for me and they give me superpowers not me. right yeah and so <laughs> i mean he's a guy that jumps out at me and being a hard worker and just really runs the gamut from hard working on the field, but also puts in the work off the field. So I've got one more coaching question. I'm, I'm a coach at our gym. I, I lead people. Uh, there's different types of personalities of people. There's people that want to be yelled at. There's people that want to be asked the right question. you got to lead them. From a coaching standpoint, what kind of coaching do you prefer? And who was your favorite coach that you played for? Um, well, I think it's a – you know, it's a two-part question because I'm with you. I don't think there's just one way to coach, even though we all have our own styles. You know, I coach high school football now. Uh, you know, every coach has their own style. But I think all great coaches have the ability to adjust their style to their players or to their pupils or, or whoever that is. And, you know, I, I remember that when I was playing. You know, you have a bunch of wide receivers. 
And, you know, there were certain guys like Larry Fitzgerald that I had to embarrass him in front of his teammates because once I embarrassed him in a meeting, he was never going to let it happen again because that was his motivator. There were other guys, if you embarrassed them in front of the team, they shut down. They're like, I'm not talking to you. We're not going to – you know, that's not going to help me. So you had to pull them aside and put your arm around them and go, okay, here's, here's what I need you to do. There were other players that I remember that you couldn't really tell them anything. Right? Like you couldn't really coach them and say, I want you to do this. What you had to do is you had to have a conversation with them to the point where ultimately at the end of the conversation, they would come up with the idea that you were wanting to bring to them anyways. And they go, Hey, how about if I do this? Oh, yeah. You know what? That's a great idea. Why don't you do it just like that? And you got your coaching style and you got your coaching done, but you allowed them to take ownership of it. And that's what motivated them. And so, um, you know, that to me is what a great coach is, is they have the ability to, you know, expand that out. You know, some of us, three or four guys, some of us, 10 or 12 guys, you know, in the NFL, 53 guys, you got to be able to manage and figure out how to motivate and how to connect with, with all those different guys. Um, so, you know, to me, that's what being a coach is. And for me, as far as style, I didn't really care. You know, to me, the bottom line was as long as I knew my coach had my best interest in mind. I didn't care what he did. He could get in my face and yell at me. You know, he could point out all my mistakes. He could be an encourager. It didn't really matter as long as I knew, end of the day, this guy wants the best for me. So if it means coaching me hard and tough love, I can deal with that because I know what the coach is all about. If I didn't know what the coach was about and I just felt the guy was coming in and screaming and just wanted to yell at everybody and have a power trip, then I didn't care for his coaching, even if it looked exactly like another coach that I knew cared about me. And so, um, so it's hard for me to say what my favorite was. My favorite was just knowing that I had a coach that cared about me and he was going to coach me the best way he knew how to get the best out of me. And I could accept that in whatever fashion that looked like. Cool. What would you say I am in that? Am I the one that has to be so yelled at? And, and <laughs> the most successful one for me on the daily is when people answer their own questions. So you lead them to like make the statement like, well, maybe I should maybe not eat McDonald's every day for dinner, or maybe I shouldn't, you know, stay up till 3 a.m. every night. And I'm like, yeah, let's try that out. Let's see how you feel. <laughs> Come back to me after you go to bed at a normal time, get eight hours, and we can maybe chat about how much better you feel. That's a great idea. Go for it. Right. So, Kurt, we'd love to talk more football with you, but I have a feeling that you've got plenty of football talk out there that people can listen to. So I want to dive into some other things that are kind of more focused on what we like to deal with on this podcast. And the first one I think of with you is mindset. Um, your career did not start as a first-round draft pick in the NFL for, you know, automatic starter. You, you were undrafted, got cut, and you spent – basically it was five years from that time to when you first got your first starting gig – what kind of mindset do you have to have to be able to survive five years of not getting your dream? Well, I mean, yeah, I think the first part of, of the mindset uh, has to be an inner confidence. And I think it's something that, that carries over. It's not just athletes. I, I think it's about life in general. Because, you know, the one thing that I realized in my journey is that my journey is much more like the average person's journey than Peyton Manning or Tom Brady, who, you know, even though Tom, you know, drafted where he was, but these guys that are drafted and things just kind of go their direction and they play and excel and, and do things that nobody's ever done before, which is all great. But, 
you know, when, when you're taking that sort of a path, um, inner confidence is easy, right? You know, because the results are always there. I think for me, the biggest thing was is understanding the circumstances might not look like I want them to look or people on the outside are going to say, Oh my gosh, give me a break. There's no way this guy's going from a grocery store to the NFL. It's just not going to happen. It doesn't happen. You might as well give it up now. I don't know why you're believing this. And so when you have all those other things going against you, there has to be a level of inner confidence uh, within that person to go, to go, my circumstances will not define me. What other people say about me will not define me. And, you know, let me just say this is that I, I also believe it's important when I talk about this inner confidence is that it's got to be a realistic um, confidence, right? It's got to be a realistic belief in yourself is that, you know, we, we've all seen those people that have that fake confidence, right? That they say all the right things and they project something, but it's not accurate. And, you know, from the, the same standpoint is, you know, you, you can't be the person that takes everything and is, is you know, swayed by the wind when anybody says anything, you have to realistically take the approach. Okay. Let me step back. And I know I have skills, but I got to be honest with what my skills are. I got to be honest with where I'm at as a person or for me as a player at this particular point and go, okay, how did I get here? Why am I here? And so um, it's an inner confidence, but that confidence is really based on a realistic viewpoint of I'm not perfect right? Everything's not great, or I probably wouldn't be in a grocery store. But I know that I'm, I'm better than, you know, some guys, or I've got the skill to be able to compete at a certain level. So I've got to find that balance and be able to use all of it moving forward. But, but again, the biggest thing for me was that I never lost confidence in who I was as a person and what I was capable of as a player. And that mindset overall allowed me to push through the tough spots or the difficult circumstances, or when things didn't go in my favor, um, and it all kind of started right there. Kurt, when you talk about inner confidence, I think it kind of goes with being like earned confidence. So knowing that you were putting in the work, knowing that you like were doing the things that you needed to do to get to that level. So training, sleeping, doing all the things you knew. Was there was there a certain technique that you were following or like anything like you kept training when you were out of the league and like, what were those habits like of like when you knew your dream was kind of far away, but you yeah. knew that you had to do, you knew you had to do things to earn that confidence, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things is that, you know, when people look at my career, um, you know, and you ask them, Hey, you know, tell me what you know about the Kurt Warner story. You know, what they're going to tell you is, they're going to look back to, uh, they sat on the bench for four years in college and he worked in a grocery store and they get cut by the Packers and blah, blah, blah. And then he won the Super Bowl and went to the Hall of Fame. And so all they see, you know, during, you know, the journey to the NFL is all the negatives, right? All they see is, oh, see, he wasn't any good and he couldn't do this and he found himself there. And, you know, one of the keys for me um, – was again to, to really be able to compartmentalize the circumstances that I was in. So yeah, I might've been in a grocery store, but that wasn't necessarily a direct re reflection of the fact that I couldn't play football. And so what I mean by that is like, I played one year in college, sat on the bench for four, but I played one. And that one year I was the player of the year in our conference. I played three years in arena football. 
And in two of the three years, we played in the championship game. I was voted the best quarterback in the league for three years. Same happened when I went to Europe. And so when everybody else was looking at the grocery store and sitting on the bench, what I was looking at was, well, what happens when I actually have a football in my hand? Well, when I had a football in my hand, I was really good. And so, you know, I didn't have to wallow around and go, man, maybe I'm not any good. Maybe I can't play the game. I know I can play the game because I've proven it every opportunity I've gotten. Now it's how do I get the opportunity to show people at the next level that I can play. And so, again, I think life is about having a realistic view of who you are. And that can be positive and negative because those are the things that can keep you going when things are tough, but they can also motivate you, whether it be when things are tough or when things are going great. You know, so when you're standing on a Super Bowl podium and everybody thinks you're the best thing since sliced bread, I think you also have to have to have a realism that goes, yeah, but I can get better. There is room for improvement that I'm not just going to rest on that I made it here. I'm going to push so I can be the best that I can possibly be. And so, um, you know, th those were a couple tools that I used along the way is, is you know, checking everything and, and testing everything. And, you know, when somebody says something, you know, it, here's an example for you is that, you know, so I go and I'm playing with the Rams. We go to two Super Bowls. I win two MVPs. And then all of a sudden I find myself cut by the St. Louis Rams. And so the perception around the league is that, well, he can't play anymore. I mean, obviously, if, if he could still play, the team that he took the two Super Bowls is not going to release him. So there must be something wrong with him because I had suffered some injuries and, and some of that stuff. And so, you know, obviously the media is going to cover a whole bunch of stuff. And I remember reading an article one time that was talking about how, you know, I had suffered some hand injuries and, you know, that's the problem is he can't throw the football or hold on to the football like he used to uh, before the injuries. And, you know, one part of me was the first thing is like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. You know, look at my completion percentage or I'll be out on the football field and, you know, I feel like I can throw it as well as I've ever thrown it and I'm still accurate. And so I could have easily taken that article and just discarded it and go, okay, that's a bunch of BS. And to some degree it may have been. But the way I looked at that article was like, okay, I don't think there's any truth to that because I, I don't have any evidence of that when I'm out playing football or in the statistics or whatever. But let's say there is some truth to that. Let's say there is something with my hand um, that's a little bit weaker now because I suffered numerous hand injuries and if there is, what can I do with that to help me moving forward? So, you know, having a Cardinal shirt uh, on right there, I'm, I'm assuming Red you remember C, that, baby. Part, Red you C remember all that day. part of my, uh, my career in Arizona. But you'll remember that the last three years of my career, I played with gloves on both with hands. With a glove. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, why did I switch to the gloves? The reason I switched to the gloves was because I said to myself, okay, I don't know if there's any truth to this article whatsoever. But if there is, what is something I can do to help rectify that? And what I decided was, well, maybe if I put on gloves, it'll give me a little more tack on the football. So when I'm in the pocket, maybe if my hand's not quite as strong, I can hold on to the football a little bit better in the pocket. Now, I have no evidence one way or another uh, if it worked, if it was successful, if it helped me. But my point is simply, I took that article and I tried to dissect that article and from one side say, is there any truth to it? If I felt like there was absolutely no truth to it, 
I could take it. I could discard it. And I say, that's a bunch of bunk. I, I know what I'm all about. I know what I'm capable of. Now I can move forward and that's not going to drag me down. But I could also flip it and go, I don't want to believe that there's any truth to it. But if there is, I better make sure I check myself because if I want to be the kind of player or person that I want to be, then I've got to check and test everything. And so I checked what was in that article. I made an adjustment and I finished my career on an extremely high note. And I, again, I don't know. I might've been able to play just as well or better without the gloves, but I felt it was important to really take that stuff in and be realistic with the information I was getting so I could apply it the best I could to, to become great at whatever I was trying to do. Nice. So you have to be able to take that criticism, even if you disagree with it and, and apply it. That's, that's a tough thing to do, I think. And you could have always just deflated the footballs a little bit. That could yeah, have, that could have made it <laughs> no, a lot don't easier. Do that. I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> yeah, Maybe I would have known, right? <laughs> so you were talking about inner confidence. And um, this is one thing I wanted to talk about because you, you pride yourself on being a dad too. Like being a football player is great. Being a dad is one of the biggest things in your life too. How do you deal with kids? If, if any of your kids have been this way, how do you deal with kids who don't have that inner confidence? Because my oldest son is 12 and he strikes me as someone who's not going to have that inner confidence kind of takes after his old man, to be honest with you. How do you instill that in, in people that don't have it? Is it just the work ethic? What is it? It's a great question. And I am dealing with that right now. Uh, with one of my kids is that it's so hard because it's so foreign to me, right? It's so foreign to, to ever look in the mirror. And, and again, I mean, we we'll all look in the mirror and, and we'll have some things that we'd love to, to change to some degree, but never, you know, when I look in the mirror, do I think, Oh my gosh, you're not you know worthy of this, or you're not talented at all, or you're, you know? And so when you have somebody that has that low self-esteem and, and doesn't have that inner confidence in themselves, it's really hard because, first of all, that's not my nature. You can ask my wife, right? My wife, uh, you know, when you think about the love languages, she's always like, she's affirmation. She needs me to tell her all the time how great she looks and how talented she is, and she feeds off of that. And it's hard for me because that's not who I am because I had that inner confidence. And so now, you know, she's like, you need to do this more. And I'm like, Okay, I'm trying, but I just don't think about it that way because I never MVP, need to. struggling with with his wife. I love to hear it, man. We're all human, dude. Exactly, because I never really fed off of that, so it didn't become something that I necessarily became came good at. And so now, when I've got a, a child or, or or children that struggle with that inner confidence, it's really tough for me to be able to have empathy and connect with them. But I tell you what, what I, what I've been trying to do. Um, you know, with my daughter is I'm trying to encourage her in things that I know she's good at, you know, things that I know uh, she feels at least to some degree that she's good at. For instance, she, she's really good at writing and she likes to write. And so uh, I was just dealing with a situation like this the other day where I was like, gosh, how do I lift her up? How do I encourage her? And so I told her, I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just go and just for me, I want you to write a little you know, story to me about one time you remember doing something that you were really, really proud of. And so she went back and she wrote this article, you know, or this little you know, piece about something that she did. And it was funny because in the first version of it, you know, I saw that lack of self-confidence come out. Well, you know, I did this and, and you know, it was kind of that 
ho-hum, well, it worked out, but I'm not, and I'm like, okay, you got to rewrite it. Go back and rewrite it. And you remember how it felt when you did that. I want you to put that into your writing. And so she, she dances. And so that's another thing is I'm like, you know, Hey, send me a, a video of, of the latest dance that, that you, you know, you learned. And so what I'm trying to do with her is, is understand there are things and she's really talented and she's, she's really got some special gifts, but she has trouble seeing that sometimes. So I'm trying to illuminate those gifts with her uh, so she can see that. And, and, you know, every day, you know, forcing her to go do something again, it might be forcing her at the time, but it's really feeding into that confidence because at the end of the day, man, it was great to, to write that. Thanks for having me do that, Dad. Or, man, I love I love dance, and I need to do that more because it it lifts me up. Uh, you know, video. She recently uh, put together a video for one of our other children uh, who's dealing with some struggles as well. And you know, my wife the other day sent a, a message to to the, the son that she sent it to, and to my daughter, and to myself, um, and just you know, sent it basically. Do you understand how? much of a blessing this is talking to my son to have a, a sister that loves you this much and was willing to put this much effort into doing something for you to uplift you. And so, yeah, it was, it was pointed at my son, but it was also pointed at my daughter to realize this is what we're talking about. This is where your self-confidence should come from because this is your heart and this is how you think and the impact that you're having on your, your siblings even when it doesn't necessarily calculate that like that. And so that's something that we're always trying to do with her when she lacks the self-confidence is push her into those corners of things that we know she's, she's gifted in. And so she can start to kind of soak that in and realize, Oh, wow, I do have a lot of value. I do have a lot of worth. There are things that I'm really, really good at and start to lift that, uh, that self-esteem, because I think the one thing that I've realized over the years, even with my wife, right, I've come to realize with my wife that I could tell her she looks beautiful every day, but if it's not when she wants to hear it, it does not matter. It doesn't matter how many times I've said it, right? It's really just, hey, when she comes out with those high heels on and she's dialed up, if I don't say it then, then I don't believe it. And so you have to realize that you know, the bottom line is I can say you're pretty all day long until she feels she's pretty. It has no bearing. And so the same thing holds true with, you know, again, with your question is I don't think you can just tell somebody you're great. 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 And one day it's just going to click. They're great. They have to start feeling it for themselves. And so for me, it's pushing them into those arenas where they can start to see it for themselves and feel it for themselves and that's where that inner confidence comes from. It doesn't have anything to do with something external and, and something that somebody else said to me or did for me. It's really what, what we're talking about, that inner confidence to believe I'm confident in who I am and what I can do and what my gifts and, and, and skills are. So, Kurt, right now I'm working with uh, Verado High School. Shout out to those guys. I'm doing the strength and conditioning for the football team, uh, a great group of kids. But what do you think – those kids need to hear right now. So I'm going to relay this message or they can listen to the episode, but this group of men we're in summer camp, we're getting after it, lifting heavy, we're getting stronger, doing the small things right from Kurt Warner. What do you think like that time of year, what do they need to hear the most? 
Oh, man. I mean, it's it's great. I work with high school athletes as well. And, and you know, I think there's so many lessons. They're great kids, man. Great that you kids. you can learn along the way. Um, you know, the thing that I'm always trying to tell athletes is, um, you know, no matter where they're at in the mix is, you know, we talk about this inner confidence or we talk about this understanding of who you are as a person or a player. And so when I'm talking about the off season, you know, to me, the off season is really about getting a full gauge on who you are as a player and being able to gauge your workouts or your preparation around what it is that you need. And so I think it's twofold. First of all, understand what it is that you do well. Understand what your strengths are. Continually work on those strengths. Continually separate yourself in those strengths. By the same token, understand what your weaknesses are. Understand what your liabilities are for your team and make sure you build a a, a plan around helping to improve those things. I think too often at whatever level, we get caught into – okay, my strength and conditioning coach laid this workout for me. So everybody on the team is going to do the exact same workout, and that's what it is. Whereas one guy may not have to get much stronger. You know, it may not be the most important thing like a quarterback for me to be able to bench 500 pounds. So I want to find things in my plan that I'm still working just as hard, but they're catered to what I do. So that I, that's what I would encourage young athletes in the offseason is try to figure out who you are as a player. Work with your strength and conditioning tools. Take ownership of your skill set so you can truly get better on the football field. A lot of people can punch a clock and you know do a lifting workout that everybody else does, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to make you better or a lot better on a football field if that's not playing into what you really need done. And then I would say the next part of it, and something that I got to deal with young athletes a lot with, and it's not necessarily in the offseason, but once you get out on the field, I use the, uh, I use the phrase, we're never attacking a person, but we'll always attack a problem. Never attacking a person, but we're always attacking a problem. And sometimes there will be a person that's in the middle of that problem, right? And so your name may be called, or you may be pointed out on film. But understand, I have, there is nothing personal about any of you guys that I'm trying to attack or I'm trying to make you feel bad. Just understand that my job as a coach is to attack the problems on one man or the entire team so that we can be successful at the end of the day. And so that's something that I'm always, you know, I'm always preaching to these young men, um, you know, the people that I work with, because I think it's very easy to take that personal and think coach doesn't like me or coach is, is hard on me or, you know, he's doing something where he doesn't do it to my friend and you start taking that personal. Um, and so that's a message that I would always send out to especially young athletes as they're trying to figure themselves out and their role on a team is understand that coaches and great coaches are there never to attack a person but always to attack a problem and take that viewpoint into everything because that's the way you – and us together are going to get better. I'm going to clip this audio, send it to the team, man. They're going to be ready to run <laughs> through a brick wall, Kurt. Thank you for those All words right. for the kids. Hey, do you have just a few more minutes? I want to respect your sure. time here. Uh, I, I wanted to get into the passions you have. I know Treasure House is one of your biggest passions. But before we go there, what I wanted to ask is, since leaving the NFL, 
How have you stayed fit? Because I see you once a year working at the Ultimate Football Experience with you know volunteering for your organization, and you haven't seemed to lose a step. Like you're not eating extra <laughs> pasta or anything like that. How do you stay fit when you're not you know working out with the NFL right now? Um, you know, obviously it becomes a part of your life when uh, you you spend decades you know, having to work out and having to stay in shape and doing all of that. Um, but, you know, really there are a couple of things. At the end of my career, um, I let some things from the football perspective kind of take over. And I, I was pushing myself to a level that was unhealthy. And so when I retired, that was a big reason why I retired. And so when I retired, um, one of my big you know focuses was I need to get healthy again. And, you know, whatever that looks like, I need to get healthy again in life. And, um, and so a big part of that has always been fitness. And so what I I took the approach when I retired that my goal is to never, ever get out of shape again. And so I never wanted to be the guy that, you know, could go work out and get the buys and the abs for, for summer, you know, when I'm going to the beach and then in the winter, just lay around and, and do nothing. And then I'll come back to it again in the summer. I'm a guy that's always just said, Hey, I want to do something every day. I want to be active every day and every day it looks different. You know, some days it may be an hour and a half of, you know, lifting and doing cardio or playing basketball. I love playing basketball, playing basketball for a couple hours. Another day I might not feel like doing anything. So I go in and I watch 15 minutes of a TV show and I get on, you know, the Stairmaster or the elliptical machine or, or something. And so there's a, there's a wide you know range of what I do on a daily basis. But my point is I do something just about every day, you know, outside of maybe taking one day off a week to just relax and veg out and do, do nothing, but I'm just trying to stay active. And I do a lot of different things to stay active. You know, it's been one of the things with this, this whole virus, right, man, you got a lot more time on your hands. And, you know, my wife and I say, man, it's, there's like no excuse not to work out now, right? I mean, it's like, I don't have anything to do all day. I'm here at the house. I got to work out. But the challenge becomes finding something new to do every day where you actually feel like you want to go and work out, you know, because you, you guys know if you got to just punch a clock and you got to just tell yourself, I got to get 20 minutes in today, you're going to get bored and you're going to get tired of it. And eventually you're going to quit. So a big part for me has been trying to create different things. So can't play my basketball games now, but I created kind of a shooting workout that I do uh, a couple days a week. So I'm in there shooting and I'm running back and forth and getting cardio in, you know, I do some jump roping. I actually started doing some 300 yard shuttles, which is a training thing that we did for the NFL back in the day. It was Hold on, Kurt, our- are we talking about a comeback? Is, is that you're getting ready to play? <laughs> I'm ready, ready. Let's Whoa, go. Come oh, back. Hey, it's it. not a comeback if you never left. Ask Brenda. She's yeah, the one that's right. going to decide that yeah, one. Exactly. But, I mean, you know, I started doing like, you know, some days I go out there and do like the NFL conditioning test. What I remember doing when I had to show up for the Cardinals camp, uh, I'll do 300-yard shuttles. Yesterday, you know, I'm reading a book uh, right now, and I, and I put the book up, and I did an hour – of, you know, lower intensity on my arc trainer. And so every day is just unique and different, but it's, but it's something. And that's really been my goal is I'm just going to stay in shape. I want to be able to chase my grandkids and chase my kids around and have an active lifestyle. So I'm going to stay in shape. And, and I do, I feel better now than, than maybe I ever have in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm leaner. I'm fit. I got my weight back. Uh, I feel like I'm in great condition. 
as you said, I'm not making a comeback, but I feel like <laughs> I like, could go out on the like field that. and play. Um, and so all of those things, um, you know, has really helped my mindset too. I think you wake up and I'm a guy that works out early in the morning. I'm an early morning guy. So I'm going to work out first. Uh, confidence. I feel good the rest of the day. I don't really worry so much about what I eat as much. You know, I don't eat horrible, but if I want to have pizza, I'm going to have pizza. If I want to have a cheeseburger, because I think that's part of that, that, that mentality and that mindset that you talk about. I think there's something to being able to have a chocolate bar when you want to have a chocolate bar, that it does something to my mindset going, Hey, I've got the freedom to do whatever I want to do. Take a day off from working out, eat whatever I want because I'm confident enough in, in who I am and what my mindset is that I don't have to starve myself. I don't have to do, you know, 30 minutes of cardio every single day. I have the freedom to be able to allow my fitness to, to kind of lead me uh, in different directions. Um, and I think that's been a key for me because I like to eat. You know, I tell my wife, I work out so I can eat, right? <laughs> so I get both sides of it. I get the, you know, the, the physical uh, part of it that, that I really enjoy. But I also get, you know, that, that mental side that comes with being able to, to eat food I like to eat and, uh, and not having to feel guilty about it or not feeling like I got to go to the gym and, and do 30 more minutes of cardio because I had a pasta meal. Um, and I think that has allowed me to live a more free and enjoyable life across the board uh, because I'm able to do, you know, balance that in, in both areas. Cool. So we want to end our time with you. I know the biggest passion you have going right now is, uh, you know, you've got your first things first foundation and one of the biggest projects, uh, you're not finished with it. I don't think it's going to be an ongoing thing is treasure house. And I know that's something that you really have poured your life and heart into. Can you talk about the UFE experience, which we didn't get to do this year, unfortunately, uh, how yeah. that, how that gets money for your biggest thing, which is treasure house. And we'll yeah. just, we'll end with that because I, that's how I, I'm sure you want to want to end this with. Okay. Um, so let's first talk about UFE. So what UFE is uh, for people who never heard about it, it's called the ultimate football experience. And, um, and I truly believe it is for anybody that, uh, you know, that doesn't play the game that it truly is the ultimate football experience. And so everybody loves it. Everybody is, I've ever seen there just loves it. You're, you are correct. Yeah. Yeah, it is, uh, it is unique. And so what we do for the people that are listening is uh, we actually take over the Cardinals practice facility for a weekend every year. Um, and we have corporate teams, um, you know, that, that buy sponsorships. We connect them with an NFL player, past, present, um, to be their all-time quarterback. And we have basically a fantasy football weekend. Uh, we have our draft party and activities on Friday night where they have to compete for their draft order. They get to draft their quarterback. Um, then they get to walk into the, the Cardinals locker room and they got their jerseys and their gloves and their cleats. And it's like they're walking into to the facility, they're gearing up and then we go and hit the fields and, uh, and we have a day of competition out on the football field. And so, I mean, it's been awesome. We've had so many great players, um, you know, join us over the years. I mean, MVP players, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, um, and you know, you could go down, the list, um, you know, guys that play defense, Patrick Peterson has been there and he's unbelievable. I mean, you talk about athleticism. That's another thing I think of as a guy that you can, you know, that plays one position, but you could ask him to do anything and he could do it. Ryan Erlacher came out there. Uh, and, he was and, really and he good. Won. Brian oh, Erlacher was, was a, a shock. He was unbelievable. Oh, and so, 
you're amazed by these guys. I'm not surprised, really, man. He that guy is an athlete. No, he's that a defender a, though. He doesn't throw. matter, man. You can tell the way he he's moves. a guy quarterback. I mean, you know, he returned punts as a linebacker. And, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just. But anyways, you know, these guys come out and we just have an unbelievable weekend, um, a once in a lifetime type weekend, and all the money goes to uh, to our foundations, uh, both first things first, which is more of my player foundation, which is designed around specific smaller programs that we do throughout the year. Uh, for instance, you know, every year, and again, unfortunately, because of the virus, we don't get to do it this year. But for the last 20 years, we've taken Make-A-Wish families with us to Disney World for a week every year. So we get an opportunity for an entire week to build relationships with these families and ride rides and laugh and, and let these kids know uh, that we love them and we care about them and connecting with their families. And so programs like that do first things first. And then our newest foundation, which is Treasure House, which is a community living facility for young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So for those that don't know my story, my oldest son, who's 30 years old right now, suffered a traumatic brain injury when he was four months old and, you know, was told that he might not live. And if he did, he would be lucky to, to sit up or really accomplish much in life. And we, wa- we watched him exceed every expectation. We watched him graduate from high school, um, you know, and, and exceed even what us as parents had really dreamed about for him. And that's really where Treasure House came in, is that for the longest time when you have a child with disabilities, you're worried about today. You're worried about, you know, how do we help them be successful today? And, you know, you think about high school and graduating high school and, and hopefully, you know, maybe being able to, to be functional enough to have a job when it's all said and done. And so when Zach graduated from high school, you know, our mindset was simply, well, we got a bedroom in the back of the house. He'll live there and we'll do the best we can from this point forward because we really have no idea what the future looks like. And what we realized when he moved back into our house was that for the first time in our lives, his mom and myself were, were holding him back, is that everything that he wanted to do and everything he was capable of doing was fully dependent on mom or dad driving him to work or, you know, meet a friend from the outside coming to pick him up and, and, and take him somewhere and be a part of an activity. And so we saw him start to, you know, kind of fall backwards and, and lose motivation and passion for life that he had gained through high school as he was being pushed to new levels. And so uh, we went out and said, okay, we've got to do something for families like ours, for young men and women like Zach, to allow them to have a full life, to allow them to dream and to live in their passions and be able to, to have peer groups that they can do activities with like every other one of my children. And so that was where uh, the vision for Treasure House came into play. And we started our first Treasure House uh, in Glendale uh, just about two years ago. And we are almost at full capacity right now. Um, and That's we've amazing, got brother. outside. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been incredible. And, um, you know, it's exceeded our expectations. And it's been awesome to watch not only our son thrive, but to watch these other kids, uh, young men and women who have become residents at Treasure House, uh, to hear their stories and to hear the stories of their parents thinking, you know, that they didn't know what to dream for their child and they didn't know what the next steps were and they didn't believe their kids would ever be able to do X, Y, and Z. And now they're seeing their children do those things. And we've got interest from different places around the country that are saying, hey, can we build the next one here? And can we build the next one there? And, and that's really our vision is that 
we believe there's a lot of great causes out there and there's a lot of great charities that are doing great work for, for different niches within our communities. But I think one of the most forgotten groups is those with disabilities is that if you've never been affected, you don't really understand it. Um, you don't understand what these, these children go through and the blessing that they can be on a daily basis. And so that's become one of our niches is that we want to be able to make sure every family that has a child with some sort of disabilities has the ability to dream for their kids in a different way, has ability to see and visualize what life can look like for their kids in a different way. And then we want to present them with those opportunities uh, through treasure houses across the country. And so that is where our, our passion lies or one of our passions lie right now is being able to get that model done, get that building paid off, and then be able to expand and build the next one and build the next one um, and be able to to impact the lives of these young men and women in some incredible ways. So, Kurt, we have listeners across the valley, pretty much along, uh, everywhere in Phoenix here. How can we get involved with Treasure House or, or your organizations? Let us know how we can help. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I think that's always, you know, the question is there's a lot of people out there that want to help. And how can you help? And, and I always believe there's lots of different ways that you can help. I mean, of course, the, the first one that everybody looks at is the financial part of it, right? If, if you're in a position uh, and this is something that you would be passionate about or you want to hear more about it, you can go to treasurehouse.org. You can come out and, and visit and see what we're all about, um, you know, and, and we love the financial donations because it helps us to expand and do what we want to do. But beyond that, um, you know, we just want people to, to share the message to share the vision of what Treasure House is because we're continuing to try to, to make sure that everybody knows what Treasure House is. Everybody's heard about it so we can connect with the right people. There's numerous volunteer opportunities, whether it's different fundraisers that we do. We do another fundraiser that we call, um, you know, game night, celebrity game night, in which we raise money for, for Treasure House. We do that once a year. Um, but, you know, anything like that where you'd be willing to volunteer um, either with our residents out at Treasure House or, or to help us, uh, you know, to do a fundraiser or, uh, you know, you got a connection with a business that you say, hey, maybe we could connect Kurt in this business with a means of raising some money or some awareness for Treasure House. Um, you know, anything and everything. It, there's nothing too small. And that's what we want to encourage people is that whether it's our charity or another charity, there's no effort that's too small if you want to do something. Find a way, connect, share the word, share the message, whatever that is, um, we would encourage everybody that, uh, again, you can find out more about Treasure House at treasurehouse.org if that's what you want to plug. But I would encourage you, no matter what it is, no matter what you're passionate about, find something that you can do to impact and help people, help a charity in some way, shape, or form, and go out and do something, whatever that is, however big or however small, uh, to make sure that you're feeding back into your community and, and truly impacting the lives of other people. I love that. And I know you got your new, next UFE is going to be coming up in March. And I'm, I'm telling you from experience, I, I'm not a player, but that is one of the most fun things. And I'm trying to get, I tell everybody I know about it. Our, our friends, Sean and Tommy from Talking Elite Fitness, I'm going to get them to come. And if you awesome. sign up, I am one of the equipment managers for the free agent team. So I might be kind of like your equipment manager. You know? <laughs> I'll show you there around. You You'll have a good time. But There you go. I hey, promise you, you'll have a good time. You will, definitely. I mean, but I, Kurt, thank you so much for being on, man. We appreciate your time. It's It's been a pleasure hearing from you and your mindset and everything, man. We're really grateful. Thank you so much. Oh, you bet. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate uh, you supporting what uh, what we do and, and what we're all about. And appreciate you guys 
giving back and, and doing something like this to, to impact people from, especially from a mindset standpoint, because I think we all understand in this day and age, um, a lot of people could use uh, a boost in terms of the mindset that they take and the approach that they have on a daily basis. So appreciate you guys. Thank you for yes, having me. Yes, sir, man. Me what a pleasure. Uh, pleasure to meet you as well. And, uh, and we'll see you next March. Yes, uh, hopefully sir. we'll see you both next March. Yes, sir. Uh, I want to try to get involved. Yes, take sir. care of this virus and, uh, and get back to work. Back to normal. Yes, give, give our best to your wife too. Okay. Will do. Thanks a lot, guys.